You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Um, so, uh, it's not a precious, precious Yeshiva. What I want to do is set it up um, literarily and then to take us through various analyses of the difference between Vayeshev and Nigure in the opening in the opening Parsha and see what and see what we make of them. I don't know that I have any Chidushim, but I want to at least talk about them and uh, this would be a good week if people wanted to jump in the middle and offer their own thoughts because um, I don't really have any Chidushim. Um, if we turns out they have absolutely nothing to say and you have nothing to say so that we'll either finish earlier or we'll do a rush bomb that I always love doing. But, um, but let's start. Okay, so we look at the um, Look at the Makarot. Um, so in Bre- in, in Bresh's Perik Lamed Vav, uh, it's right. We have the 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 story of Esav, and in the story of Esav, it tells us um, very it tells us very clearly that um, right. It, it tells the Esav story, and it uses a set of words. Okay, so Esav takes his wives and his sons and his daughters, and everything in his house, right? All the people, all the animals, everything he owns, which he collected in Eretz Canaan. And as a Vayelech El Eretz, and he goes El Eretz. Well, everywhere you go is an Eretz, so it's really hard to figure out um, what it is that um, that it means that Esav went El Eretz. Um, and then, and this is again the end of last week's parsha. The story it tells of how Esav and Yaakov uh, split does not seem to be the same story that we read about in last week's parsha. Says Rav because their property was too great to. Uh, to dwell together. Right? So watch, they couldn't be Shevet, right? They couldn't be Yoshev together. Megurehem, and the Eretz Megurehem, which is not, a, right? Which, so they could be guard together, but they couldn't be shaved together. Lasetotam couldn't bear them because of their cattle. So therefore, Vayeshev Esav Bahar Seir. So they can't live together. So Esav is Yoshev in Seir. Esav, who is a dome. Then we go into the long generational list, right? So we have Eretz, Megurehem, uh, really we have Shevet, which I should have, um, right, which I should have uh, underlined, um, bolded, and Yoshev and Toldot. So now we get to, uh, after that long list, we get to be a Paraglamazai, and all those words show up immediately. Vayeshev Yaakov, Be'eretz, Megurehem, Aviv, Be'eretz, Kenan, Ela, Toldot, Yaakov. Okay, so we have a... Um, a, a literally par- a liter- a literarily parallel structure, um, which seems to suggest, right, and this explains also why Yitzchak's death appears other. It seems like we're telling the story of Esav to completion. That's Ela Toldot Esav. And then we go back, right, and really the the skeleton of the book is Toldot, and so we finish the Toldot of Esav, and we and we get to the Toldot of Yaakov, um, and we find out where each of them is Yoshev. Um, but we don't really know, right, if we read it that way. It would seem to think that the difference between Yoshev and Lagur is not terribly serious, because right, so they're both, uh, right, they both do the same thing. They're both Yoshev, Eshev is Yoshev Harseir, and Yaakov is Yoshev in Eretz Kinan, and they both, right, and Megurehem is something they both do, and we have told it. Um, but the tradition doesn't seem. Um, doesn't seem comfortable reading it that way. It seems like it's just too much an invitation to have two words together. Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eres Migurei Aviv. Right? It says Yoshav and Lagur. Um, 
so let's take it. If we take a look, you can see how the uh, even the translations start having trouble uh, figuring out how to deal with this. So Uncle says, Right, so Esav, um, Esav, right, sat, right, so the same verb, the same, the same verb is used in both places. I'm going to share my screen, I think that's easier for you. I don't know if everybody has it. Um, here, right? So, the, so Uglis says, um, and somebody's going to tell me that I should ex expand it, I don't know if I can do that in Google Doc. Uh, uh-oh. Uh, there we go. Okay, so, um, so the verb, v'yatev, is this version of v'yashav, and it's ba'ara tutavuta v'hoi. Right, so um, right, so in Unclus, there's no difference between Yashav and Migure. He translates Migure with the same verb. The Rishalmi, um right, retranslates Vayeshev instead of retranslating. Right, Migure is still Totvute, Right, so in Aramaic, the tough is the the Aramaic tough is the Hebrew Shin. So Tutave is is uh, Yoshvut or something like that. Um, right, Toshavut, and it retranslates Vayeshev as Vishara. So it's not clear that we've solved the linguistic issue. Um, we're going to just point out, even in the translation, we don't really, it's really hard to tell. Unclos doesn't have a difference between Vayeshev and Megure, and Yerushalmi has it backwards. Uh, a parish called Meuchos Larush already starts putting us into different territory, right, which I'll give you just for the fun. So he thinks Vayeshev is an acronym. Vayeshev is Remez Lesibochir Uli Yaakov Yosef, sorry, Shimon Binyamin, right? So Vayeshev is the three things that cause trouble for Yaakov, right? The Yud, the, uh, the Yud is Yosef, the Shin is Shimon, and the Bed is Binyamin. Midiloksiv Vayogar Yaakov, right? So he thinks the reason we change it to Vayeshev as opposed to Vayogar is to create this acronym. Uh, it was a little hard. Not clear that, you know, why why we particularly blame um, whether Shimon is really a major, the imprisonment of Shimon was really a major feature in Yaakov's life, maybe. I guess it takes a certain amount of time. Um, and it certainly doesn't explain why it's also Vayeshev Esav. Okay. The tour break moves to Gematria, but Migre Aviv, but Gematria Zechevron. So Gematria obviously is not you know, a great explanation for why the word is done, um, but it does raise the question: Why do we say Beres Migre Aviv if Yaakov in fact stays put in Chevron? Right, that's a really good question. Um, uh, right, and and if it really just means Chevron, why is it Eretz? Why isn't the Beir Migre Aviv? Right, so that right, the tour raises more questions than he. Um, then he answers, right? So the Minchas Yehuda, uh, one of the right, one of early early commentary, I think Rishon, what, 14th century, something like that, I forget always, uh, right? He just takes the bull by the horns and says, it's straightforward. It says Eretz Migurei Aviv, so I wouldn't know that's Eretz Canaan, because um, uh, because Yitzchak never left, uh, sorry, it says, since it says Eretz Migurei Aviv, and Yitzchak never left Canaan, so why did it have to say redundantly, Eretz Migurei Aviv, Eretz Canaan? So the answer is that if it said only Migre Aviv, I might have thought it included his grandfather, and he, and Avram went outside of outside of Canaan. And if it just said Canaan, I wouldn't know where in Canaan. So the solution, Eretz Migre Aviv, Eretz Canaan, tells us it's the place where the ancestor who lived only in Canaan lived, and that reduces us to um, to Hebron. But not really, because Yitzchak didn't live only in Hebron. Yitzchak moved around. He lived in Gror. He lived in other places. So this is also... A tremendously unconvincing answer. And then the Tziv comes along and says, you know, he didn't really live in Hebron either, right? Now we know he's, he's in Hebron because when he sends Yosef towards the brothers, it says, He sent him from the valley of Hebron. So the Tziv says he lives sort of around Hebron, uh, right? He wanted to live close to his father. 
his father is still alive, right? Erez Megarei Aviv is, right, is still where his, is where his father is still living, really. Um, and he also wanted a little bit of privacy. He wanted to, he wanted to meditate privately, right? So it says, right, Kedei Liod Badad Kedarko, the Yaakov, like, of Yaakov was, was um, a meditator. And therefore, it says, so therefore, we, the passage doesn't really narrow us down at all. And maybe it's him saying that it says, Beres Megarei Aviv, as opposed to Beir Megarei Aviv, or Bemakom Megur Aviv, to tell us that Yaakov was in the general vicinity, he hung around, but he didn't live next door to Yitzchak. Okay, none of these, to me, are um, terribly compelling, and it's not at all clear, then, if we're working on the right approach uh, at all, maybe the right approach. You know, I get, you know, the challenge when you're, you have, you know, we might call a very simple approach. The very simple approach is that these are just literary, par literary parallels, and there's no significance to Eris, to Yashav, and, and Gar. Now, on the other hand, it just seems like just too much to put in front of you. By Yeshav Yaakov, Beres Migurei Aviv. How could it be that Yashav and Lagur don't mean different things? So one of the ways of testing it is to see, is it a productive hypothesis? Does it get us anywhere to say that Yashav and Gar are different? Uh, does it get us somewhere, somewhere we like? So, so far, it hasn't gotten me anywhere that I really want to be. And I also haven't seen any evidence that it matters. Uh, I haven't seen any evidence that it tells us anything that really matters. All it ends up is it says that you know, the Yaakov ended up basically in the place we already knew he was, because we learned it next, because it says, So we know where Yaakov is, so what does the Pasuk have to tell us this, if it's going to tell us in a Pasuk anyway? So the Hoyil Moshe, which is a fascinating 19th century um, commentary, I hope we'll meet him again at some other point. I think um, Rabbi Dr. Alan Brill has written about him at length. Uh, a really interesting historical figure in terms of his um, affinity with Zionism and then his frustration with um the Zionism, if I recall correctly. Um, so he plays it out this way. Um, and I think he, he provides the first piece of evidence that something might, other than the language, that something might matter here. It says, Aviv gar. So Yaakov's father was a gar. Right, that was the verb, right? So he thinks that a gar is a nomad. And a gar is somebody who moves from place to place. So Yaakov settled as opposed to uh, as opposed to as opposed to Yitzchak, who was a nomad. So that is really unconvincing linguistically because Yitzchak, um, right, Yitzchak does settle in places, and it's not right, not clear not clear that Yitzchak does something different. But now he adds something new. It says the shalach so what the um, what the Hoyil Moshe picks up, which I think is important and changes the reading, is that we don't have any prior notion of roaming unsupervised shepherds, because in a nomadic life, you move with your shepherds, right? You and you and you stay within a certain distance of your shepherds. Um, presumably. What we have by Yaakov and his sons is the impression in the story. Without the word, you don't need the words by Yeshev and, and Lagur to get there. You have the impression that Yaakov is fixed and the sons are moving around shepherding and you have an administrative structure which is centralized as opposed to uh, everyone has, as opposed to everyone has to move together. That I think is a very good point about the story and that even if you don't buy into the pegs, the linguistic pegs that will change your perspective, and if you, and it, it gives you a, a bias towards believing 
that there is a difference between Vayeshev um, and Lagur. That um, that Yaakov that Yaakov's life seems to be around staying staying put, and that's going to be uh, most extreme. I think um, we'll see we'll see how other other Rishonim picked it up. Okay, so the um, the Malvim says the following: the purpose of this story, um, right, is to tell you that um, that everything about the the um, the story of the sale of Yosef, everything that happens in the story is at the behest of God for an overarching purpose. Right? So everything God does is directed towards getting Yaakov's family down to Egypt. Yaakov's family going down to Egypt, right, is kind of Egypt is not an accident. Right? Everything happens for that purpose, which is what Yosef says. Right? But now he said, right, now he, the Malbun picks up on something that I think is very true in the story in parallel to what Minchat Yudah says. If all you want to do is get Yaakov to Mitzrayim, so have a famine, and he'll go down to Mitzrayim just like Avraham did. Just like Yitzchak wanted to, but God told him to alterate Mitzrayim. But God doesn't tell Yaakov to alterate Mitzrayim. So why, does God, why do we have to have this whole business with Yosef why couldn't Yaakov just go down naturally, um, naturally the way everyone else did? So the answer is, when there's a famine, Yaakov doesn't respond by saying, let's go down. Yaakov responds by saying, why don't you go to Egypt and come back with food? So because Yaakov is fixed in place, right? So I'm always picking up a second thing. It's not just shepherding. It's that when Yaakov has a crisis, his reaction is not to move to a place where there isn't a crisis. He never even considers moving. He sends them to Egypt, and then he moves down to when he moves down to Egypt, as opposed to Avram, who moved down to Egypt and left when there's no longer a famine. Because right, Yaakov, when he goes down to Egypt, understands that he's not coming back because Yaakov lives in a fixed place. Right, so the Malbim picks that up, picks it up beautifully, I think. And if you put the Malbim and the Hoyil Moshe together, then you understand that actually something does change. Right, Yaakov's life is different, but it's worth thinking about why Yaakov's life is different. Uh, Deborah likes pointing out. Uh, that Yosef's dreams already tell you that he's different, because Yaakov always dreams of right, ja- Yaakov when he's in the end of Lavan's house, so he dreams about sheep. But Yosef dreams about grain. So Yosef is already an ag- right, Yosef is already an agricultural figure, and agriculture doesn't allow for the same kind of nom- nomadism that um, that, ca- that cattle herding does. Even though Yosef's brothers are all still Roy Mikneh, that's why they live in Goshen because there is, Goshen is good for is good for flocks. Yosef is already different, but Yosef is different in a way that is foreshadowed by Yaakov, because Yaakov manages to to put himself in a fixed place, even though he is still a um, he is still a sheep owner, and he does that by establishing a central base and having everyone radiate out from his base, even if that means that they go far enough away that that he can actually not know where they are. Right, He tells Yosef, your, your brothers are in Shechem, but they're not. Right, They've gone to Dotan a long time ago, and Yaakov has no idea. Communication lines are weak. Okay, so now the question is, if we set up right as a reality in the story, whether we ground it in the text, in the words Vayeshev or Lagur or not, that Yaakov lives a, that Yaakov lives a different life than his, um, right, than, his, than his parents did, so now we have to ask ourselves, so what is the significance of this? Right, Does it mean anything? That Yaakov lived a life 
uh, lives a life different than his ancestors did in this regard. So we're going to start with Refersh. Okay, and Refersh, you know, if you haven't experienced Refersh before, uh, you should know Refersh has um, very strong theories about the nature of the Hebrew language, which are not generally in favor among linguists today. So you'll decide to what extent you are compelled by his understanding of language. So he says, Yashav v'gur Right, this is a Hebrew translation of a German. Right, that the two verbs mean really opposites. Yashav he says he says is is close to the verb yatsav. Right, so first believes that um, that roots that sound alike uh, actually have a uh, have a fundamental connection in Hebrew. Um, so what's the difference between yatsav and yashav? Right, why why does one have a shin and one is a tzadi? It says yatsav. Mitsayen amida etana, right? To be to be to be at save is to stand with force. Amida etana, right? A strong, forceful standing. Bekoach amit gaber alamichsholim, with the force that allows you to overcome obstacles. And that's what he thinks the word tzadi means, right? Tzadi is a powerful, is a powerful sound. Okay, we're talking about what a tzadi actually was, you know, historically how it was pronounced. But when he refers to his dialect, which or whatever he believes the original Hebrew dialect to be, the tzadi is a powerful sound. Yashav, whereas to be yoshev, mitzayin ashihiyata shalva tivit urugua. That means, you know, sort of being in a natural in a natural and relaxed condition. Kimishdama mitzalil hashin, right? Hashin is a peaceful sound, as opposed to a tzadi, which is a tzadi, which is an explosive sound. So yatsav is to stand with force, and yashav is to stand in a natural, relaxed condition. Okay, benigud lekach, but I thought that ger, shohev makom she'en she'ach to be a ger, is to be in a place that you don't belong. Right? To be yoshev is to be in a place that you do belong. To be yatsev is to be in a place where you do belong even though there are people trying to kick you out. And to be gar is just to be in a place you don't belong. The low karka with no ground to stand on, literally. And therefore, he says, there, right, again, Refersh has this vision of the, whole, the way the whole language works. So Lagur, we know it from Ger, which is some form of being in, in a place. It also means to be afraid. So Refersh says, right, so what does to be afraid mean? To be afraid means to lose your grasp on things, to, uh, right, to lack autonomy, and to be afraid, right? That's what being afraid means. So he says that there's a linguistic connection between... Lagur meaning to dwell, and Lagur, or to sojourn, whatever, and Lagur meaning to be afraid. Okay. In the place where Yaakov's ancestors only found temporary respite in their travels, Yaakov now aspired to, right, to be a Yoshev, to be in that place and feel natural about it. Right after Yaakov had spent his whole life traveling, now he wants to be home. Hein sof kosof, because really, in the end of the day, Haytazu Eretz Canaan. He's living in Eretz Canaan. So, right. So, the verse says his his ancestors. It was Eretz Megure Aviv, but Yaakov wants to be Yoshev in that land, which, after all, by Yeshiv Yaakov, Eretz Megure Aviv is Eretz Canaan. Haaretz Shuftecha. Right, this is the land which was promised would develop into a place of genuine, um, genuine calmness, genuine, genuine respite. 
However, says Rafersh, in God's plan, Teramigielas and Vanalze, it wasn't it wasn't time for that. Ulamis, right? So that's right, so that's the the thing is that Yaakov is Vayeshev, but he's Vayeshev in a way that God is not ready for him to be. Right? So now, right, so now we're starting. He says this is actually a, an important transition. This is where he says Yaakov becomes the character in his own story for the first time, as opposed to up till now. Up till now, ya- right, Yaakov has been a um, has been an expression of his parents and his and his grandparents' life. He's living out their pro- he's living out their pro- the promises God made to them. He's living out their right? here. Yaakov becomes the main character, right? Up to, right, but at the moment Yaakov becomes the main character, there's a tragedy because he becomes the main character, and his aspiration in becoming the main character is to live as right is to live as um, we saw above, right? As the Bible says, is to live in a fixed place. That's his chiddush. That's the new thing about the way Yaakov wants to live. But God is not ready for that to happen yet. So therefore, Yaakov's, Yaakov, when the moment Yaakov enters the story, Yaakov's story is inherently a tragedy. Okay, but we don't know yet is, right? It's, it's Yaakov's tragedy is local to the story of the Brit Ben Tarim. It's low, right? It's not that it, well, Yaakov's aspiration, according to Rafer, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just premature in terms of God's plan for history. But a stronger critique is offered by Rabbi Avram ben Arambam. Rabbi Avram ben Arambam, who is, as you would expect, the Rambam's son. Um, so he says the following, Vayeshev Yaakov Baritz, Vayeshev kan That means that he stayed there a long time. Right? He, he, right, he um, affixed himself in place. Right? Litkoa is like to, to, bang a, uh, to bang a tent peg in. Eretz Megarei Aviv Nemar al Chevron. Right, that's right. That's that's right. right that, so now we know the places. But then he adds something new. He says, "Avot alahi hashalom korim li shiva be'olam hazeh ki shivat hagarimba." Yaakov's ancestors, or at least yeah, the ancestors before before Yaakov, always thought of themselves as just being gar in this world. The fisha mavet negedenehem because they lived in constant awareness of death. Right, Yaakov says to Paro in Vayichi, he says, you know, that everyone's life was miserable, right? Uh, right, my life has my life has been miserable. It hasn't reached the days of my parents. because his ancestors all thought of themselves as gerim. So the says that there's a theological stance which is that you're supposed to always think of yourself as a ger. It's not about your the your position relative to the other denizens of this world. It's about the existential condition of a human being. And the more righteous human being you are, the more aware you are of death. Rasalvechik did not agree with this at all. Rasalvechik argued at least ish halacha. Um, has a different, right, doesn't want to be shadowed by death, but Rav Raman Ram says that they, that at least that they accept the awareness of death. And therefore, they're always gerim. What he doesn't tell you is, so what about Yaakov? Implicitly, it seems to say that maybe Yaakov um, tried to avoid this stance. Right? Yaakov wanted to think of himself as a Yoshev, not a ger. It's not clear which way Rabbi Ramadan says it, but at least there's a hint that the Yeshev Yaakov is that Yaakov did not want to have this stance. 
Okay. Rabbeinu Bechaye is unwilling to accept that this is true about Yaakov. Uh, it has to be that if there is a stance that is proper for Tzadikim, so then Yaakov must take the same stance as the Tzadikim. So he says, right, first it's interesting, his own um, his own translation of Ger is Miloshon Gargir Anifrad Meikaro, right? So a Ger is like a sort of a a right a seed that has fallen uh, uh, that has fallen off the stalk. Bechain, uh, he says, Hatzadik Ro'ed Hatzmo Yechidi, right? The Tzadik always sees himself alone. He doesn't really live in the land. Except, right, he just leases. He's, he just leases the land. He's just squatting. Um, right? So they can always see themselves as as um, as as kernels that have fallen off the cob. Um, and where they really belong is in the other world. They're all called Gerim. Avram, it says, Ger v'toshav. Yitzchak, it says, Gur baritz hazot. And Yaakov, it says, so that's really not a very good argument at all, because it doesn't say Yaakov was Gar. It says Yaakov was Yoshev in the place where his ancestors was Gar. So the Rebbe um, has to struggle, and he says he's kir vayeshev lo amar vayagar Yaakov. So why does it say vayeshev Yaakov and not vayagar Yaakov? Right. So now we have an amazing claim. Right, we start off by saying, are the words Vayeshev and Lagur meaningful? And we try to move towards a condition that Vayeshev and Vayagar are, right, are meaningful. Um, and Rabbi Yerubarambam came up with a great way to do that. Let's say that Lagur is a theological stance, and therefore you would seem to think that Vayeshev is a problem. So the, right, so what the, um, what the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar um, does, which is exactly what the Targum Yushalmi did, in a sense, uh, what he says is, it says Vayeshev, but it really means Lagur. And the only reason he says it says Vayeshev is because of the literary parallelism to Esav. The literary parallelism to Esav makes, uh, right, means we don't want to create an, right, an impression that Esav was Yoshev and Yaakov didn't have any relation. Yaakov was still, was still uh, unfixed, so we say Vayeshev, uh, we say Vayeshev also. But that's really not a very compelling answer at all either. Because usually we want to draw contrast between Yaakov and Esav. So what could be better than saying Esav was Yoshev because he wasn't a tzaddik, and Yaakov wasn't Yoshev? Right? So it really should still say Vayagar, Vayagar Yaakov. So I, I am, I have to say, at this point, uh, right, Rabbi, we, we, I, I think that there is a good literary point that Yaakov lives life differently. I think there's a fascinating potential claim that the way Yaakov lived reflected a theological stance that he saw himself as more grounded, for lack of a better word, than, uh, than his ancestors did, or at least he wanted to be. But then uh, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, we can't live with that because I would make Yaakov not a tzaddik. And so he takes the, he take he goes back to our original claim and he says, no, really, Vayeshev has no meaning at all. It just is parallel to Esav. And he therefore tries to assimilate Yaakov to um Yaakov to the Megri Aviv. But that, that last move is really, um, I think, um, badly unconvincing. Okay. So now this is all a setup, um, in a sense, to because probably the, the point I'm moving towards is one that most of you know from Rashi. And I was doing this as a background to try and set up where Rashi comes from. Now we'll do the Rashi, and then we might destabilize that Rashi and then we'll do the background to Rashi, and then we'll go. Then we'll go forward again. So here's Rashi. Rashi says, "Ela told Yaakov." 
So first he says, Eila shel toldot, toldot Yaakov. So Rashi is very careful to say, Eila toldot Yaakov doesn't mean these are all the toldot of Yaakov, right? these and none others are the toldot of Yaakov. Rather it means what follows are things that are from the toldot of Yaakov. Okay, right, that's a pshat claim. Um, right, how did they, how, right, how did this happen? Because it happened through, right, through this, they ended up in Egypt. This he says, Zehu achar pshutil shal mikra, Right, so that's the pshutashal mikro for things to, well, whatever davor davor alofanav is, and the davar doesn't really appear. Somehow things fit well, right? Davor alofanav, right? Things fit well, um, right? We can't right now really talk about what Rashi means by pshat. I don't really know what Rashi means by pshat, uh, but it doesn't look like we're going to spend the. I think I might even actually in the end have not put the rashbam on the. Um, on the story, no, I did put the Rashbam on the story sheet, so maybe we'll have time to look at Rashbam's critique of Rashi. This is where Rash, one of the places where Rashbam launches his critique. Uh, but Rashi says the pshat is Elatelo Yaakov means what follows is right. What follows is is uh, related to the Toldot of Yaakov. But he says a midrash agadah deresh talaha katuv Toldot Yaakov Yosef yipnei kamed varim. So everybody has to figure out the verse says Elatelo Yaakov Yosef. So, right, Yosef is child number whatever, right? Not not child number one. So why are we starting from Yosef? So the answer is that Yosef is important to the narrative. That's the Pshat answer, that to understand how Yaakov's told out, uh happened the way they do, you need to start from Yosef. But the manager says, no, really what it means is um, um, that Yaakov really, Yaakov's essence is bound up in Yosef, and you can see that happens, one, because Yaakov only worked for Rachel, so only Rachel's children really count, and Yosef looked just like Yaakov, um, right, that's why I always thought, right, the question, right, when it says that uh, when Yosef doesn't sin with the wife of Potiphar, so the text that most of us look at is that his father's his, his father's um, image appeared to him in a window, right, Niralo Bachalon. Uh, so some people want to change it to Niratolo Bachalom, right, that they that it appeared to him in a dream. Uh, I always liked the shot that it's it's in, in a window and that he saw his reflection because Yosef looks just like Yaakov. <laughs> Um, on the other hand, right, the counter to that is maybe maybe glass didn't exist yet. Uh, then you have to figure out when do you, when does that measure start and when does uh, when does glass start? I think Seth and I have talked about that. Okay, but measure certainly says that Yosef looks just like Yaakov, and everything that happens to Yaakov goes to goes to Yosef. Right? One of them is hated by his brothers, and the other is hated by his brothers, and the brothers try to kill him, and so forth. And Rashi says the measure quotes all of that. Then he quotes is probably the most famous thing of the Rashi. He says Odnidrashbo, Vayeshev. Because Yaakov leshev b'shalva, Yaakov wants to dwell in peace. Kafatz alav rogzoshal Yosef. So the whatever rogez is, right? Rogez seems like the great disturbance. That sometimes means rage of Yosef is on him. Tzadikim evakshim leshev b'shalva. Tzadikim seek to live in peace, in in right in, in tranquility. Amara kadosh baruch hu lo dayan letzadikim mashmutakat mutakan lehem lelam ba. It's not enough for Tzadikim to right to, ha- to have the tranquility of the world to come. They also want to have peace in this world. That's not legitimate. So there are a couple of things one has to say about this. All right. First of all, right. This is an image that uh, Rav Soloveitchik made very famous um, because the the um, what's, what was known in in um, in my circles as the long footnote of his Magnum Opus Ishalacha, footnote four. Uh, which he says there are people who dream, uh, or who think that the purpose of religion is to dwell in quietude, um, but there's an aim, right? There's an aim for that. It's Christian Science, uh, 
And Jews don't believe that. Jews believe you're supposed to live. You're supposed to live in a constant, you know, in a constant torrent of conflicting of conflicting emotions and and uh, and you know an up and down cycle of religious ecstasy and and such forth. This was, um, you know, this was enormously appealing to me as a teenager. Uh, and as I grow older, I understand why not everybody finds it enormously appealing. I still find it appealing, not as appealing as I did as a teenager. Um, but what he what what this Rashi seems to say right is a very different stance than Avram ben Arambam. Avram ben Arambam said that tzaddikim always perceive themselves as um, as um, transient because they have constant awareness of death, and they know that this world is all, that this world is not the real world, and that's what it means to be a tzaddik. And we didn't quite know what he does with Yaakov. So now, right, so now the, right, this, this Rashi seems to say that Yaakov is Yoshev B'Shalva. Yaakov wants to be Yoshev B'Shalva, so Yaakov is in fact rebelling against the attitude of the tzaddik. And because of that, that's why the Yosef story happens. Because of Yaakov's because of Yaakov's lack of desire, right? Yaakov's desire not to live the way Tzadikim lives. So that's a very challenging thing because that suggests that what happens to Yosef is a punishment for Yaakov, and we have lots of difficulty with vicarious punishment. Uh, right? This is like the Rashbam who says the Akeda happens because Avram displays a lack of faith by making a treaty with with the with the Plishtim. So I am not a fan of such interpretations, but we have to admit that they're here. Uh, the only thing is that if you look at the um, at the framing here, it says, Yosef, but then all of a sudden it's generalizing. So this is really a response to Yaakov's behavior now. Why is it framed in broader sense? I should also be saying, which I did not know until I started doing the research for this um, for this shear. Uh, if you look in um, in the Alatura, right, every right, I have two I have two basic you know books in life now. One is the three, right? One is the Barilan Responsive Project, which I have on uh, on USB. One is the one is the Otsar uh, Chachma, which uh, I'm grateful to Yeshiva University Alumni Association Alumni Group for giving um, free access to, and the other is this amazing site Alatura.org. Which, if you have not looked at, and you can read sources in the original, you should know is absolutely incredible. By my um, sort of uh, ex-chavruta and friend uh, Hill Nevesky, not ex-friend, but uh, ex-chavruta. Story for some other day about what our chavruta was really like. Uh, so he says in a footnote that there's a manuscript which says explicitly that this is not actually Rashi. The manuscript which says that this medrash was added by one of Rashi's sons-in-law, uh, Rabbeinu Shemaya. So there's a whole a, a debate in academic scholarship, and I guess elsewhere as well, about how much of Rashi is Rashi. Uh, there's a scholar named uh, Professor Eliezer Tuitu who argued that many of the midrashim that people most associate with Rashi, the midrashim that make Rashi the standard curriculum for children, uh, are actually not Rashi. Rashi's commentary was a fairly spare shot commentary, and then people kept adding midrashim onto it, and so until it became the commentary we have. Uh, there's pushback by lots of scholars saying that's not true. Uh, it debates, it, it relates to some extent about how you date a particular manuscript, but whether it disproves um, Professor Tuito's thesis or not. But here, you have a good case, you know, that where 
here's a medrash that the Rav built into this whole image, which I know certainly shaped me in lots of ways. And yet we have a manuscript which says it's not Rashi. Okay, well, you know, but then there's always going to be a question. Maybe who says that manuscript is right? Maybe, maybe it's really, maybe it's really the previous manuscript of Ben Rishmaya and the copy is copied in the wrong place. But just be aware that this, uh, this manuscript may not be Rashi. But we're interested less in that. We're interested in the, right, the tension between this Rashi and Rabbi Avram ben Arambam and the tension within this version because it says, because it's about Yaakov and then there's this plural, Tzadikim v'akshim v'shev b'shalva. So I want to um, sort of illustrate, I wanted to talk about the sources of, of uh, or to read the source of Rashi. Um, the Chama Leibowitz always used to say that right, the, to understand Rashi, you have to read Rashi's sources, and then when you see how Rashi selects and transforms his sources, then you understand what he's really trying to say. I don't know if this is really Rashi, but this Medrash, I think, has had interesting things happen to it in the space between Midrash Rabbah and Rashi. It doesn't mean Rashi didn't have another version, but whoever did it, uh, or Ben Shmaya, whoever did it, did interesting things. Here's a Midrash Rabbah. Amar Rav Acha, as Rav Acha said, at the time when the righteous uh, right, are, are resting, right, Yoshvim, he uses that word, in tranquility, and wish to continue to live in tranquility, so right in, in, in our version, it, right above, right in the version in Rashi, it's God who says, what are they doing? But here the Satan comes. So you always have a lot of trouble trying to figure out when the Satan comes, who does the Satan represent? Is the Satan really, really some way of projecting a particular aspect of, God, of whatever that means, aspect of God? Or is the Satan evil? Right? So the Satan comes and prosecutes Amar, and he says, Is it not enough that the, the world to come is prepared for them? But they wish to do that? So how do you know that this is so? That the Satan comes and does this. Yaakov Avinu, al yidei she b'kesh l'shev b'shavar olam hazeh, nizdaveg lo sitno shal Yosef, right? That Yaakov, because he wanted to live b'shavar, right, this happened to him. And then he quotes a pasuk from Eov, which actually, which actually goes back to before Bayesh of Yaakov. Lo, right, lo shalafti me'esav, right, that I, I never had tranquility because of Esav and my, right, I was younger. Lo shakati me Lavan, and I ran away from Esav, so maybe I had peace. But then Lavan torments me. And then, right, you know, I'm on my way back, and Dina happens, and then Yosef happens. So the way the Midrash Rabbah um, frames it is that really this is a lifelong problem for Yaakov. Yaakov always wants to be Yosef Veshalva, and whenever Tzadikim Yosef Veshalva, the Satan comes and prosecutes, and we take the verse of Eov, so when the Satan comes and prosecutes, so for whatever reason, God allows the Satan to test them. So I think I've said many times that my understanding of Yaakov's life, the broad thing is that Yaakov spends his life trying to avoid being tested because he is Yitzchak's, um, he's Yitzchak's son and he saw, but he wants to be, and Yitzchak only has one test in life, maybe. Um, so Yaakov really wants Shalvas. I think his message is exactly on point, that Yaakov spends his life wishing to be the Yoshev B'Shalva. And what happens with Yosef and Vayeshev is not anything unexpected or different than everything that has happened in Yaakov's life previously. Yaakov always wants to settle down, and yet it never happens. So there's a theological claim that it doesn't happen because God never allows Siddiquim to um, to live in peace. 
But that is a little bit falsified by Yitzchak. Right, right after the Akedah, Yitzchak does sort of live in peace. Uh, now you can argue, right, this is what you know, theologians will say, that's because Yitzchak, what happened to Yitzchak really moved him out of Olam Hazeh anyway, so it was pointless. Yitzchak never really lived in this world at all. Um, but that, that's a little bit of a challenging answer. Okay, then Medrash also says, which I wanted to put in, that um, Eres Megurei Aviv really, maybe really means the places where uh, he could live culturally because his father and grandfather had made converts. And that could, right? So then the challenge is, uh, right, where, where did, where did, did Yitzchak, do you have any examples of Yitzchak really making converts? So you do have a scene by, uh, have a scene with Abimelech and Bachuzat Mireya where it seems that Yitzchak builds in at least some kind of cultural influence and impressiveness that people see him as a representative of God. Um, and then the challenging thing is, but Yaakov never seems to get there, at least until Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim, it seems that Yaakov perhaps achieves a status as a man of God. But so long as he's living in Israel, um, you could say, Eretz Megurei Aviv, that um, Yaakov lives in a place where his ancestors had cultural influence and transformed people. But Yaakov, the first thing that happens is the destruction of Shechem. So everyone is terrified of Yaakov. But Yaakov, Yaakov dwells, he dwells in a different way than his ancestors because he doesn't have any cultural influence at all. At least that I think is a reasonable it's a reasonable thesis. Okay, we're going to skip Roshbaum. Um, so I want to do in the remaining time is I want to read the way in which two achronim. Um, so when I was in you know, in high school, that's the way we used to you know when you needed a Torah for Shabbos, so you would either read the two you would read were the Kliyakar and the or, and the Orach, the Orachayim, which are the two standard achronim in the old style Mikroogedolot before. Masar uh, of Cook put out the Torah Chaim, which is only Rishonim in it. Although now I understand that uh, Kurt is coming out with a massive, a massive one that combines Rishonim and Achronim again, and on the online versions like um, like Galatera have both Rishonim and Achronim together again. But so the Kliyakar and Orachayim were the uh, were the, the classic um, the classic Dvar Torah uh, people. But often what that means is that they take an idea which is already there in the Achronim. And they develop it in ways that are more accessible, and um, it's easier to draw moral from. So I want to show how, in this case, the Kliyakar and Arachayim take this idea, um, and I want to I want to make clear how subtle this idea is, right? So the um, as we as we have it, because the Avram and Rambam said that the Tzadikim accept this idea, but maybe right maybe. Even though Tzadikim accept this idea, Yaakov struggles against it. Rebbeinu Bachia wasn't willing to buy the idea that Yaakov struggled against it, but um, the Medrash that Rashi perhaps cites is perfectly comfortable with the idea that Yaakov struggled against it. And then when we read the Medrash, we see that Yaakov, right, we see reading that Yaakov struggled against it his whole, his whole life. And yet I don't think that means that Yaakov is not a Tzadik, because the transformation, right, if you say that God is the one who gets angry at the tzaddikim, then you can say, okay, this is wrong of the tzaddikim to want to struggle against it. But if you say that it's the Satan who opposes the tzaddikim wanting to live in, right, wanting to live in peace, and it seems like it's a perfectly reasonable aspiration for the tzaddikim to want this. It's not a violation of their, right, of their righteousness. It just never works. It's a tragedy. That Tzadikim right, reasonably wants something that they can never have. 
because the satana always opposes it, and that raises the right question: like, why? Right? Why is it that Sadiqim can't live b'shavah b'lamazeh? Um, right? Right? Why does Why does Yaakov have to be tested over and over again instead of getting instead of getting what he wants? Okay, so let's watch the way the Kliyakar and the Rachaim um, read this. The Kliyakar says the following. Vayeshev Yaakov Beres Megure Aviv Beres Kenan Hayala Lamar Vayeshev Yaakov Beres Yeshivan Aviv Oh Vayogar Yaakov Beres Megure Aviv Right? Should have said one. Right? Should have had the same verb. Vod Beres Kenan Lamali And also, why? Who needs this Beres Kenan? We already know where he's doing. He's Beres Megure Aviv. So we saw already the approach that is trying to specify the, ge- the geography, and that was not very that was not very compelling. So the Kliyakar says Ella Lefishim Maashim Et Yaakov. Right, it imputes guilt to Yaakov. It blames Yaakov, or indicts Yaakov. Al shall keva. So Yaakov is blamed because in, he wishes some kind of permanence in this world. And so Yaakov, right? So we see in the narrative that Yaakov wants to stay in one place. In fact, does reflect the theological, um, the or psych, a psychological, which translates into a theological desire for security. And the Kliyakar is very clear, this is wrong of Yaakov to want this. Right? So he's with Avram and Aramam. Right? He wants to be a citizen in a place where his ancestors were only resident aliens. Because his father didn't do that. Yitzchak in Alamazeh always was just a, uh, was just a, you know, a, tran- a transient. But Yaakov is different. Right? So the fish Amarlo Kurishbarahu Gurbar Zazot, his kirlo his kirlo shon loshon gur. Right? So God tells when Yaak God tells Avra tells Yaakov, he says Gurbar Zazot, he doesn't say Yosh Shave Bar Zazot. Kiratashem, Shloiva Keshu Shivashal Keva Balamazek, because God does not want Yaakov to seek this kind of permanence. Um don't say when Yashem says to Yaakov Gur, it means just then, because it's not really his land. No. And it's referring to Yaakov's temporal condition. Um, right, right, right now, he's living in a land that's not his, but not to his existential condition as a, um, right, as a, as a transient in this world. So it says, um, so Yaakov's in Eretz Canaan. Eretz Canaan, he doesn't have to be a ger in the political sense because Yitzchak's already been there. Avram recognized that he was a Toshav. He had rights in Eretz Canaan. Uh, if you want me to treat me, I'm willing to ask. But in lo, but Avram says I have rights. In Kengam Yitzchak Ayatoshav Eretz Kanan, so Yitzchak also has rights in Eretz Kanan. Kirushahilo because he's inherited Avram's rights. So the Kliyakar says, I don't understand why God would tell Yaakov to be a ger in Eretz Kanan. He has a right to be a Toshav in Eretz Kanan, especially in Chevron, which is the place where Avram actually bought land. But for right for the Rambam's theological stance, it's very powerful. That what Avram buys is a grave, because he can't right because the only place permanence you have in Olam Hazeh is a grave. You have no permanence um, in life. So when God says to Yaakov Gur above, 
It must be taking, he must be telling him something theological. He shouldn't look for tranquility even in a place or for security in a place which, even in a land which actually does belong, uh, belong to him as if he has a, right, as if he has a real residence there. But Yaakov didn't learn. And that's why the, that's why the, um, the catastrophe of Yosef happens to him. Okay, so that's one explanation where the Kliakar just lays it out, right? You have to be a transient Lamazeh. Any attempt to be more than a transient Lamazeh is a, right, is a moral failure, and God will come and oppose you. Then he says, Devarachir. But I have another explanation. It already said to Avram, Kigeriyazaracha. Right, God already said to Avram that your, that your, right, that your descendants will be a, will be Gerim Be'eris Lolahem, in a land that doesn't belong to them. Ba'avadum, and they'll serve them, Vinuotam, and they'll afflict them, or Ba'meyotshana, uh, for 400 years. And we know, right, that's the, the fundamental tension. I was talking about this with Dochaim in the car, this story, right, that there's no way you can read Brachus and not ask yourself, oh my goodness, God tells Avram that his, that his, that his descendants are going to be in a land not theirs, enslaved and afflicted for 400 years, and they aren't. I mean, it's only last 230 years. So, right, what kind of book is this, which is all built around a prophecy that doesn't come true? So everybody has that problem. So I've already been told this, right? and the way we solve that problem is by claiming that the 400 years start early, and in that sentence it says there'll be, there'll be aliens in a land not theirs, and they'll afflict them, and they'll, they'll serve them, and they'll afflict them 400 years. So we read the 400 years as saying that one of those three conditions has to exist for 400 years, not all three. Right, so now right, so we can start the 400 years at any point in which the right the descendants of Avram are either in a land not theirs, and or uh, enslaved and or uh, afflicted. Okay, So that right, so that's like a that's like a debt, right? There's that the Jews have to pay off 400 years of lack of security. But Yaakov wants tranquility in a place where his ancestors deliberately chose lack of tranquility. Because the 400 years, the schedule, the 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 um, the years start tolling off when Yitzchak is when Yitzchak is born. And Avraham and Yitzchak regarded themselves as Gerim. And that's why they kept moving from place to place. And they never bought themselves agricultural land. And the reason, right, so Avram and Yitzchak, it's not that they were nomadic shepherds by, um, because they had no choice, because they couldn't imagine another way of living. Avram and Yitzchak decided to be nomads because that way they could pay down their descendant, their, their debt, and they knew that every year that they didn't by by a vineyard that was a year off the Jews' enslavement in Egypt. Um, so Esav went somewhere else. That's why it just says Eretz. It doesn't matter where it is, as long as it's not Canaan. Esav thereby symbolizes that he is right. The Avram's promise is your descendants will be enslaved, will be right, afflicted, enslaved aliens for four hundred years, and then they'll return here, and it'll be their land. So by going somewhere else, Esau says, "My, I give up any claim to this land. My ancestors will not, re- my descendants will not return here. 
So he said, was no obligation, and he could just be Yoshev. But Yaakov, Yaakov, right, Yaakov has a, is, right, Yaakov is going to be an, an heir, so it's just selfish of Yaakov. Yaakov is engaging in, uh, you know, in generational transfer, right, where he gets the land, but because of it, is, right, there's going to be further enslavement in Egypt. Right, he wants to live in the house, but not pay the mortgage. That's why Yosef happens. If God had not intervened to prevent Yaakov from living in peace, so then the, the clock would have stopped, and all those years that Yaakov lived, there would have been more enslavement in, uh, more enslavement in Egypt. So this is a radically different approach. It's not about a general stance about Olam Hazeh, it's a stance about a particular prophecy, and it's about the willingness to endure things for the sake of a future generation. And it, Yaakov comes across, you know, really as shockingly selfish. Um, Yaakov, or, you know, Yaakov, or at least uh, as as giving in, right? Yaakov say, you know what? I've had enough already in my life. I paid my debt, and now I'm going to live in peace. And it's okay if that means that the Jews have to be. And slaves a little bit longer in Egypt, and God says, "No, that's not okay." That's not right, and it sends him down to Egypt. Right, so that's a very right. So that so the second Shalakliyakar, on the other hand, seems to suggest that this has nothing to do with a stance about Olam Hazeh, and that at a, at a point when you don't have a prophecy that requires you to pay back, then by all means you can be permanent. Okay, the Orachayim takes a um, takes a very different pr- approach. So let's take a look at how he reads Yaakov. So we have to know like, why does this pasuk say it? Already, right? It already, um, I already know the Yaakov's in Hebron from the previous parsha. So what are we? What information are we learning here? Uh, also have to know why does it say Eretz Megiri Aviv Beres Kenan? Right? We could already said Hebron. Right? Why does it do this? He says, Alchein Liyotcha Kadam Lamar BePasha Kodemet Vehodia Ki Esav Achiv Yerashet Har Seir Mikoach Zvut Aviv. Since we already learned that um, Esav got his inheritance based on his father. So now we have to tell us, well, what did Yaakov get out of that? It's telling you that, yeah, that even though Esav settled, Yaakov didn't. Even though he saw Esav um, doing this, and God had told him that, he's, that he gets the land alone, as I explained above, nonetheless, Afal became Loasabo Roshim, Okay, so there are, so the Orachayim says, first of all, Eretz Canaan is, is not intended to identify it as the land that Yaakov actually does have ownership in. It's intended to identify it as the land that Yaakov does not yet have ownership in. And he has to end up reading it the way the Rabbeinu Bachid does, which is that, um, Vayeshev is just there as a parallel to Esav, and really the point is that Yaakov lives in the same way that his ancestors did, not as a contrast. Okay, so summing up, you have two fundamental perspectives, one of which is willing to criticize Yaakov, and one of which is not. Right, if you want, right, the one, right, the ones that refuse to criticize Yaakov think that Vayeshev has no significance at all. The ones that are willing to criticize Yaakov think that Vayeshev is different than Vayagur. And they tend to think that 
um, that it was wrong of Yaakov to behave differently than his ancestors. Um, you can take that as a theological stance that Yaakov had a Yaakov was unwilling to accept being a temporary denizen in this world, or at least he was willing, unwilling to accept the you know the fundamental ephemerality of life in this world, um, and that's always a problem. Or you can take it as a a tragic stance that everybody wants security in this world, but the Satan objects when the righteous do for whatever right for reasons like Eov, that he makes right, he always challenges that if they have peace and security, then maybe they're not really righteous. I guess is the uh, is is that sense, and that's a really powerful, scary theological um, theological notion whether that's really supposed to be your stance or not. And we talked about how um, the Rav frames it not so much as about life and death but about whether you're supposed to have emotional tranquility and security in a relationship with God or whether it's really relationship with God is as challenging as is a tempestuous relationship and not a calm, not a calm relationship, even though both, both exist um, in human relationships. And then you have the Cleocras alternative that maybe it's not because of a general condition. Maybe the righteous are entitled to live in, to with seek tranquility and maybe the righteous even succeeded living with tranquility but um, but Yaakov was in a particular, you can't do that when your tranquility comes at the expense. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.